0: Welcome to another episode of The Lanyard, the podcast that goes deep with
1: changemakers, business leaders, and community builders. Here's
0: your host,
2: Ben Hanton. Hi, I've got two people in the studio today. We get to talk to Miles and Mike Krashke, and we're going to talk badminton. The show starts right now. Thanks for coming in, guys. What have you been up to? Nothing much today. So, young Miles, how old are you? I'm
0: 14 years old.
2: 14 years old, and you just returned from Tokyo, if I have my facts right. Yep. What were you doing in Tokyo?
0: I was competing at a test tournament for Tokyo 2020. You are a badminton phenom going up against people much older than you. Yep.
2: And you're trying to get into what?
0: Tokyo Paralympics. Next year,
2: twenty twenty, and so you were in Tokyo a year of where you hope to be back. Yep.
0: All right. So, what was that tournament like when you were in
2: Tokyo this year? It
0: was pretty awesome that you got to play at the official venue that they'll be holding it at, and seeing all the good players. How many people were at this tournament?
1: Competitors, twenty-two 22? in your in your class. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And how did
0: you do? I got to the round of sixteen. And I played against the number five in the world in round of 16. And it, I
1: lost 21-17, 21-15. Dad, how did, how did he do? Was he good? You know, he did well. He competed against some of the top players. It was This was probably the tough, toughest tournament that he's been to in a while. Ages of the people you were competing against, were they all 14,
0: 15, 16? No, most of them were early 20s. And then the f- guy that I played in the round of 16 was like 40 some. Yeah. (laughs)
2: All right. Well, I imagine as being a young man, you've, do you still go to school
0: or did you, are you homeschooling? Are you uh, going to public school? How does that work? Uh, I go to Sacred Heart School. When I go to tournaments, I usually get the homework ahead of time and do most of it before I leave and then some on the road. You got some pretty understanding teachers, huh?
2: I am not educated about badminton or about your career path, but I thought we could start by asking you guys some basic questions. The 2020 Paralympics are a goal. If not, 2024 is still a goal after that, I imagine. But hopefully you can get to both. But some
0: of the places you've been besides Tokyo. Australia, Ireland, Northern Ireland, England, Spain, Brazil, Peru, Canada, Colombia, Korea, Thailand. The Paralympics, it's an offshoot of
2: the Olympics and there are different categories and you are competing in what
0: category? Uh, the category is called SH6 okay, which is people that have dwarfism, which means when they're born they their bones don't grow as fast.
2: Are there some advantages
0: to your size on a badminton court? Or are there more challenges? I don't think it's really that much different from playing with the average size, except that they can move quicker on the court.
2: Yeah, you got to cover ground a little faster. Feet got to get moving more. Yep. And I've seen some videos of you play, and you do move pretty fast. Uh, there's, some, there's some diving going on, too. You're not
1: afraid to fall. Nope.
2: <laughs> how Dad, how would you describe Miles' style of play?
1: He has to rely on technique. A lot. And when he first started, he had good basic skills and terrible footwork. Yeah. And so it really, with his size and in comparison to even other short stature players, uh, he has to be more efficient on the court. He has to cover the ground better. Uh, he's just not as tall or as as strong as some of the other players. So um, he relies a lot on technique and he really focuses in on the fundamentals. Why did you decide you
2: want to play badminton? I assume there You know, that's not like a very common sport around Yankton, South Dakota. Did you try some other sports?
0: Throughout the years, I've gone to A, which is Dwarfs. Dwarf Athletic Association of America. And they have sports where you can play against other dwarfs. And I played in 2013 was the World Dwarf Game. So you played against dwarfs from all around the world. And I just signed up for all the sports because that's the first year that I could.
2: Signed up for all of them.
0: Yep. So it's like bocce, floor curling, floor hockey, soccer, basketball, badminton, track and field, and others. And I had fun with badminton, so I continue to play it. And then a few years ago, we heard that it was in 2020, and there aren't many other sports that dwarfs can be in besides like swimming, which I don't really like swimming that much. <laughs>
2: You're saying your category is not represented in a lot of the other sports? Nope. Oh, really? So you had a chance to compete at a high level and you said, Dad, I want to do this. Yep. Okay, but now training to be in high-level elite Paralympics, probably not as easy as like, hey, it's an hour after school every day, is it? No.
0: What does training look like? Usually every day I run two miles. And then this summer I trained... For usually a week or two weeks and then came home for five or six days and then went back down to Omaha and me and my coach would get up at 5 or 5 a.m every morning and then we'd go to the gym then till 7 30 and then he had to go he would have to go to work then when he got home from work then we'd go from 5.30 p.m. to 7 or 8 p.m.
2: And what does that look like? He's he's throwing shuttlecocks and you're chasing them and just returning, just the two of you playing?
0: Uh, usually, or I just hit to one corner where and he moves me everywhere all around the court. And a lot of footwork practice and you have to work on strength training too and not so much strength because he says it'll come over time. You have to use a lot of wrist, so we do a lot of wrist exercises. You can use wrist and you'll still get the power that you need. Yeah. All right, dad. So there's there's some
2: time and sacrifice involved in in going after something like this. Maybe you can
1: describe that a little bit. When he first started, it was him and I in a gym. You know, we we got a portable net We went up to Summit Center and set it up in the middle of the court. There's no lines, you know, on the court up there, obviously, but we just hit. We would work on it and hit. And then he got started playing in some junior tournaments, which for him to compete in a junior tournament, that means Chicago usually. So they hold three tournaments a year. We got started there. And he he did okay. He's got some natural athletic ability. And and people recognize that. But we kept hearing over and over from the other coaches, from the other players, that he needs some badminton training, some some coaching.
2: And you probably didn't have that in your background. That was
1: not on my resume.
2: (laughs) How do you even begin to... I know that he has a formal coach, but when you were working with him, I suppose the internet became a resource for you to try to figure out if you're teaching the right techniques.
1: That's right. We looked at a lot of YouTube videos yeah. and looked at other coaching styles, skills, drills he could work on. And a lot of it was just working on the very basics. And then beyond that, that's when we needed to find a coach. Yes. So we we found the nearest badminton club registered with USA Badminton in Omaha. And they would just play once a week, sunday nights, 5 to 8 at the at one of the high school gyms down there. And so we we just went down there one sunday and got to know the the director of the club and he was very helpful. Bob Erickson was um, he's been involved with USA badminton since they had their headquarters in Omaha decades ago, <laughs> probably 35 40 years ago. He's been involved since then. You know, he helped Miles a little bit. He he knew some of the basics, but he pointed us in the direction I, you know, I told him we need to coaching. And so he knows all the players from the club down there and several players that have, you know, moved on from the club. And he pointed us in the direction of this uh, of one gentleman that lived in Lincoln at the time, uh, Paul Decca We got in touch with him and he agreed to help. We drove the three hours down to Lincoln one, one, I don't even remember what day it was, but uh, just to meet him. And so we played at the rec center down there at the University of Nebraska and And he was great. He was very helpful with miles, but you could just sense that he didn't quite grasp where we were trying to go with it.
2: Like he was maybe thinking it was small stakes. You're just trying to learn to be a better hobby player.
1: Exactly. Right. And you were
2: not. You were trying to say, nope, we're going to go get this.
1: Exactly. And, And at the time he was 10 years old. So, so I, you know, I I told him, listen, I want to pay you. I want to, you know, I want to make, make this worth your while because it's going to be worth our while. And, and from that point forward, I mean, he understood where we're going, where we wanted to go. And he started working miles hard. Yeah. So we'd go down there probably once or twice a month. We would do an afternoon session. Uh, We'd stay overnight with, you know, family or friends. He'd do another session in the morning. And then we'd hop in the car and drive back to Lincoln or drive back to Yankton here. And so it was very infrequent at that point. He started playing in a few more tournaments, and that lasted about, I'd say, four or five months. And then somebody must have been looking down upon us kindly because he ended up taking a job in Sioux Falls.
2: (laughs) He just— he had just also finished up. Three his... hours becomes one hour and exactly. ten minutes.
1: Yep. He, uh, so he, he uh, got his doctorate down there at the University of Nebraska and took a position with the University of South Dakota teaching at the, uh, teaching at the Sioux Falls campus. So then it then it became a lot easier. So it was basically every weekend. It would be a Friday night, Saturday morning, maybe a Saturday afternoon. So he would get two or three sessions in a week. And
2: financially, probably not cheap to have somebody sacrifice their weekends for you.
1: Yeah, That's for sure. And uh, so, you know, we were paying him, and he was very you know generous with his time and and what he would charge us but you know if you go to a club in San Francisco or Chicago or somewhere out east you're paying 60 75 dollars an hour yeah. for private lessons. Paul was great to us. He's charging us 20 bucks an hour, 25 bucks an hour depending on how long we'd go. But it's that it does it it adds up that and the travel to the tournaments and and everything else but uh, we have a lot of great supporters. Uh friends, family that that have helped us along the way.
2: Yeah. In the early days and even today is it often the two of you on the road siblings mom it's it's usually just him and i it's mom. super easy though right cuz you only have one kid
1: right <laughs> yeah instead of the other yeah instead of all, taking along all six of them yeah <laughs> but I no that's it. that that was kind of my yeah. leading question is
2: that if you have triplets in your family yes and you yeah. have six children yes and you're on the road a lot and i imagine your job also has some
1: travel involved in it yeah i work i travel quite a bit for work and now with this and it points to the you know my wife is a saint
2: oh my <laughs> I, gosh no I, kidding
1: you know and she, she has been yeah. ever since the triplets were born you know she uh she worked out at Vichy until we found out we were having triplets and worked up until two days before she you know we had yeah. the triplets and then decided to stay home after that
2: yeah well but the uh, daycare
1: costs at that point probably yeah. start uh, you start working uh, getting the break upside even. down pretty quickly yeah, you, work, you start working <laughs> the break-even analysis and it, does, and it doesn't quite work out how old are the triplets they are now in sixth grade, so they are 12. So they're right behind you, Miles.
0: Yep. Do you play badminton with them? No, they're all not that good at badminton, but they're <laughs> really good at tennis. So the six children, do they ever
2: get to go see any of the, the other five? Do they ever get to go out to some of these tournaments? Probably
1: not to Tokyo. No, you know we've, we've been talking about that, and it is. It's just so expensive. Oh, yeah. And I'd love to take him up, you know, take him out to one of the one of these. And, and for sure, we've we've already discussed that if he does make it to the Paralympics, that we're all going. Yes, we're all going to go to that. So when would that be? It'd be to... about September of twenty twenty.
2: Yep. And what steps have to happen along the way?
1: All right. So the the qualification process started in January of twenty nineteen, and it's a fifteen month qualification period that counts all tournaments during that time, so it ends March 31st next year. Through that period, there, have, there will have been 13 tournaments. There were supposed to be 14, but Australia canceled. You get certain points for every tournament based on where you finish. The total points that are available are based on how many athletes are entered in your event. So as an example, in Tokyo, there were 20 athletes entered in his category. So what they do is they do initial stage of, of round robin, so there were six groups in his uh, event. He happened to be in a group of three. He plays round robin in those three. And then the top two finishers in each group advance to the knockouts, so the round of 16. So there was 12 athlete, 12 players that advanced to the, the single elimination knockout. If you don't get advanced out of your group, that's typically worth 10 points. If you lose in the first round of the knockout, that's worth 50 points. If, if you lose in the second round, it's 150 points and right on down the line. Typically most tournaments the champion's going to get 500 points, 750. Most of the tournaments they get 750. Miles is usually in in a 50 to 150 point range. And so they take your six best scores through that 15 month period. It means and, you
2: got to get out there to a lot of tournaments. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because you, you know, For example, we went to Dubai. That's another one you forgot to mention. Oh, man. Dubai at the beginning of this year, and he didn't get out of groups. So he only got 10 points for that tournament. So now you got to find six better scores. So that's six more tournaments you have to go to. So they take the top five automatically. And then the sixth position is picked by a, they call it a bipartite commission. This commission is in place to ensure that every continent has male and female representation in all the classification. Not not in every classification, but you know at least one male, one female in, in the tournament. And so they go through and they, they evaluate each event, each category, make sure that those are all filled, and then they come back and start backfilling. And so that sixth spot is up for grabs. Miles is currently sitting in ninth place, but one of the criteria in this sh six categories you can only have one athlete from each country so england has two in the top eight hong kong has two in the top eight so only one of those players from oh. each of those com- countries go so
2: so now he's in seven now
1: all of a sudden he's in seventh and he's within right striking distance he's right on the bubble
2: and there's nobody in america
1: correct Uh Yeah, So, and he's 200 points behind the person in sixth place. That player's been to eight tournaments. Miles just got his sixth score in Japan. So there's three tournaments left, Brazil, Peru, and Spain, in February and March next year.
2: Now, on that spot where they're trying to find some continuity, that— that doesn't necessarily have politics. Don't really play into that, do? Does it? Would they look at him and say, "Hey, kid, you're 14. You'll have your chance when you're 18. Um, let's give it to somebody else." I mean, There's, are you worried about that?
1: I am, uh, but at the same time, I also I also look at the flip side of that, saying, "Hey, here's a really great story. Absolutely. You know, we've got a 14 year old here qualifying for the Paralympics." you know that could generate some buzz that and could generate could some back. attention exactly yeah. yeah and you know to have the united states have a player in badminton maybe that's what they're looking for you know for for some publicity for some attention badminton's not a real big sport in in america right which countries would you say are where badminton is most popular
0: all the asia countries yeah possibly.
2: yeah so the asian countries tend to do very well in a lot of Olympic sports too. It's it's like uh, they've really invested in the training programs. Yep, We know what the goal is, but along the way you get to go to some pretty amazing places. I used to live in a really cool town called Fort Collins, Colorado, and people always ask me, what was it like? And I said, well, I worked and I went home, <laughs> so I don't really know what it was like. Do you feel like that's what happens when you go to some of these places is you don't get to eat the wild food? You don't get to go out and stay out late because you got work to do. Mm -hmm. So you're just pretty much in airports and hotels.
0: Yep. It's usually wake up, eat breakfast, go to the venue, and then come back and go to bed. Yes.
1: And do homework. Oh, that's right. That's the other thing.
2: (laughs) You're sitting in Dubai and you're like, oh can't wait to get to my english lesson <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have been better this last year in trying to make a day or at least take some time during one of the days it, it's helped this year they've gone they've changed the tournament structure format from 4 days to 6 days so it really stretches out those yeah. matches and and dubai was actually one of those places one of the first times we really just took a day he didn't have any matches so we hopped on the train went down to the burj khalifa went to the dubai mall i mean it was that was a pretty fun time
2: let's take a little break and when we come back i want to hear a little bit more about some of these stories and about the journey of miles and mike on the road The presenting sponsor of The Lanyard is Ben's Brewing Company. We are a brewery, taproom, and speakeasy located in Yankton, South Dakota. Our beers are on tap in several South Dakota cities. Visit us online at bensbrewing.com.
0: Good people drink Ben's
3: beer. Hey, Lanyard listeners. It's Brennan and Mandy from Boston Shoes to Boots. Do me a favor and think of something you will not buy generic. For instance, I will not buy generic toilet paper. First of all, ouch, Second of all, they don't tear at the seams. Brennan, what's your example? I will not buy generic mac and cheese. It's not as creamy, they say it is the same, but it's not. Same goes for shoes. Now, we all know how easy it is to buy shoes or boots from big box stores, big online sellers, or a boutique. But are you really getting the quality and customer service that your feet deserve? A proper fit and quality made shoe can go for miles for your feet and your overall health. Wearing shoes too small or large can have long-term consequences. And those shoes that are cute but make your feet hurt all night? Not worth it especially when you're covering up the blisters the next day. Our staff at Boston Shoes to Boots is trained to measure your foot length, arch, and width. Do yourself a favor and invest in your feet by getting properly fitted into a quality pair of shoes. We don't carry cheap because we care. That's right. Quality only hurts once. And trust me, we've seen plenty of scary toes that have been crammed in bad footwear for too long. Many times the effects are not reversible. So invest in your feet, take care of yourself, and go on your next adventure with a great pair of shoes from Boston Shoes to Boots. Your footwear experts since 1915. Stop by and see us in the Meridian District in downtown Yankton or see us online at BostonShoesToBoots.com.
2: Alright, we are back with Miles and Mike. We've been talking about badminton and about the goal of going to the 2020 Paralympics from somebody right here in Yankton, South Dakota. What are some of the favorite places that you have visited? I know that it's a lot of work and a lot of school, but sometimes I assume these happen at times when school's not in session. What are
0: some of the best experiences you found on the road, Miles? I really liked going to Ireland and... Training in England for a week with the English. Did you guys play any golf in Ireland? Actually, we played mini golf, sort of, but it was still golf, just a shorter course. That was also when school wasn't in session, so I didn't have to worry about any homework or anything.
2: Now, when you go on the road and you go to these tournaments, I imagine there's familiar faces. You see these people in other tournaments. Are you able to communicate with the other competitors? Uh, I assume some speak English, but do you have a way to communicate and say hey to your friends?
0: Yeah, usually most of them either speak English or know a little bit of English. Otherwise, you use Google Translator. or something. Oh, right.
2: You, know? you have your phone out and yeah. uh, type something in, and something not available twenty years ago. If Dad was going to try that, yeah, it right? wouldn't
1: work back in <laughs> If I was when I was fourteen, that wouldn't have worked. <laughs>
2: So, who are some of your favorite people that you've met on the road?
1: Probably
0: like Jack Shepherd, Kristen Coombs, Tim Wong from Hong Kong, Wyatt Lightfoot from Canada.
2: And I imagine there's some Facebook conversations that go on. Are you on Facebook? Are you are you at the age where you can be on Facebook at 14? Uh, he's
1: he has an account <laughs> that we set up for so he'd have Messenger when he went down to the Parapan Am Games. He he traveled down there with the Team USA. Other athletes and uh, coaches. Mom and da- Mom and Dad didn't go with him on that one. So.
2: Oh, wow!
1: So we set him up on Messenger for that, uh, but he doesn't have an active account that he manages. Um, we set up a payf- Facebook page for his, like a fan account. Yeah, like a fan page, an athlete account. So
2: yeah, and I I was on that page. Do you know the address for that? I'm sure some people will be looking for it.
1: I think if you just look up Miles Kraski Parabadminton I think that's what it's under.
2: And on there, there's some, uh, you'll get to see some videos of Miles doing some crazy dives and covering massive amounts of court. (laughs) Pretty awesome. Let's talk about what's ahead. I mean, badminton and the Paralympics is probably somewhat of a singular goal right now, but you are a young man and you're looking at uh, years ahead. Are you already starting to think about what you might want to do after school?
0: I want to go into the medical field, but I also want to play badminton, but we don't make money playing badminton.
2: You can't because it's amateur status like the Olympics, is that right or
1: It's it's more because it's just not a popular sport. Even the oh. even the professional badminton players unless you're in the top probably 6 or 8 you're not making much money, yeah. Especially if you're if you're not from Asia.
2: <laughs> so when you're going to these tournaments in Dubai and all over, is that coming out of your personal checking account? Yeah, the bank of Dad.
1: Yeah, uh, pretty much Keep supports working, that. Uh, we have yeah, we have had some support from uh, the USOPC, the US Olympic Paralympic Committee, in the last year just because of his ranking. He's he's. You know, it spent three years to get to the rank where he's at now, and it's nice to be recognized by the USOPC with a little bit of grant money from there. We also apply for grants through the Challenged Athletes Foundation. Disabled Sports USA is another grant that we that we applied for and he received uh, last year. So we go through those grant programs um, every year. Now we'll we'll apply for those each year. And then, like I said earlier, a little bit of help from friends and family uh, yeah. that that I've reached out to. My company, um, I work at Sherco, and and they they've been great with my time off. I do a lot of work on the road when I'm gone, and so they're a little bit uh, lenient with me on the on the PTO and Just get your deliverables done exactly. Yeah. yeah.
2: Now, and your position at that company is sales and marketing?
1: Correct. The VP of sales and marketing for our ag and uh, flatbed division. So
2: can you uh, visit an account when you're out in uh, Ireland or something?
1: Actually, we did that last year. When we went over to Ireland for the tournament in June, we actually went over a week and a half early and went to England, where we – Sherco has an office over there in in London, the area of London. And so I dropped miles off with our friends in England – and he trained with the English team for a week. Yeah. And I went and made some sales calls and went to a actually a farm show over in England uh, with our sales director from from the U.K. office. All
2: of a sudden, Sherco's got a
1: reason to buy the tickets. There we go. Yep. Maybe people don't know what Sherco is. Us in
2: Yankton are familiar with the company, but can you tell us what
1: products you guys make? Sure. Uh, our primary products are tarp systems for grain trailers, grain trucks, flatbeds, obviously. Pretty much anything you need to put a tarp on truck, trailer. Otherwise, uh, that's what we can do. We've got offices in Yankton is our corporate headquarters. We have uh, manufacturing facilities in Florida, Canada, UK, and sales and distribution offices in Fargo, Boise, Idaho, Decatur, Illinois, Fort Dodge, um, Iowa. And Ravenna, Ohio, or the Cleveland, Ohio area, must
2: be owned by some sort of private equity group.
1: We uh, we were owned locally by um, the Sharma family. They sold about it's coming up on nine years ago now, and so we're owned um, by a private capital fund out of the Twin Cities. Did you
2: used to be involved in the tonal cover business, like pickup uh, bed covers?
1: That's right. Truxedo was a part of Sherco until two thousand seven. The family split it. Off from the main business and sold that to a private equity company and at the end of two
2: thousand seven. Yeah, well, we've got two big manufacturing companies right here in Yangton, which is cool. So that's one way that you can manage your time. And then your angel of a wife is <laughs> checks in through
1: FaceTime, or how are you guys keeping in touch when you're on the road? I'll tell you what, it's it, you know you, you think about you made the comment earlier about twenty years ago some of this stuff not being possible, and and that technology, you know, FaceTime. You know,
2: yeah. What would you have sent a postcard?
1: Exactly. <laughs> you know, get a roll of quarters out and make a phone call. Yeah. Um, but no, you know that it's been great. I mean, we there's times where I, where I will actually most of the times the venues will have Wi-Fi, so I don't have to burn a cell plan or data plan. And there's been times where I've actually Facetimed so she could actually watch the watch the match. Oh, in cool! Re, in real time. Other times they there they will live stream. The, the matches, or at least to have the live score function, where they actually you can actually follow the score online. You can't watch the act the play, but you can follow the score that way. If you were able to
2: get into the Paralympics, do you think that there all of a sudden become some sponsor opportunities to help make this all a little bit easier? Hopefully, yeah, we're hoping. You uh, he, he know, did.
1: anybody at McDonald's? Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, we've got we've we've reached out to a couple companies. Um, I had a friend at uh, Deloitte. Last year, that they're a big sponsor of the Olympics and Paralympics, but the way they do it is they pick specific athletes. Each, I'll say each quad that they support, and he he wrote up a nice recommendation nomination for Miles. We didn't get it. I think part of that is that he's not at that level just yet, Yeah. but I think after this one, if he can qualify, if he can get there, uh, it, it'll open, open up some doors. He did get an equipment sponsorship this last year from Yonix, so he's he's got two years worth of equipment, uh, rackets, shoes, shirts, shoes, shorts, shorts shirts, suitcase. String, grip. Well, the string is a big thing. You know, that adds up over time. To
2: restring your racket or what? Nope. Oh, that's a thing, huh? I imagine some of us who have played badminton like eight times in our life have never thought that you'd have to tune up your equipment. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I imagine the rackets I buy at Kmart are not probably up to snuff.
0: Is that right? No, the ones that you usually get online are about 200 or more.
2: Yeah. And, And what makes them different? Is it just the... The materials used, is it the tightness, is it... It's
0: the materials, like how much it weighs, and like how much flexibility it has.
1: Uh, How fast can a shuttlecock get going? Over 250 miles an hour. Yeah, there's there's a number out there. I can't remember. They always cite it in kilometers per hour, so I can't always do the conversion. It's like over 400 kilometers per hour, I think. Like
0: 274 miles an hour.
1: (laughs) And sometimes maybe you
2: miss, and maybe it hits you in the head, and does that hurt?
0: And a little bit sometimes. Like if you're like if they're right at the net and you're half court, then it stings a little bit. But (laughs) most of the time, we don't hit it hard enough. From the back to hurt them. Have you
2: had any substantial injuries in in your journey so far?
0: Uh, I've been bruised like once, but I've also bruised a guy when I <laughs> nailed it, hit him in the hand. And, uh,
2: but, I mean, you haven't had any, like, ankle injuries, knee injuries, any of those type of things.
0: I've had a few rolled ankles, but yeah. nothing serious. It
2: could be one of the advantages of being a
0: young guy in this game too, right?
1: He has stamina. Yeah. He, he really does, and I think I think there is something to that. Yeah, I mean, that poor 40-year-old guy out there has got to be careful of each step. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so as somebody who's 38 and knows what that's starting to feel like. but All right, so we talked about medical and how you're not Getting paid in badminton. And so maybe you'd like to get paid someday. And that could be somewhat in the medical field. What are you thinking?
0: I don't know. Just like helping people, saving their lives and stuff. Do you, have you thought about what capacity that could look like? No. I mean, nurse, doctor. Um, like a surgeon of some sort. Surgeon, yeah. Dad, keep keep him goal oriented on that
1: one. Yeah, his grades might suggest otherwise right now.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it, it, you know the the great thing about his journey in badminton is it's taught him that you know if if you pick out something that you want to do and you work hard at it, you're going to be able to do it. Absolutely. We try to. Make sure that he understands that carries over into real life too, and school work and your career.
2: Yeah, what do you think? Do you think it's it's just about getting up and doing it every day that makes you become elite at something, or is it it's raw not- talent? Is it a combination of the two?
0: It's a combination of talent and like your drive to do it because if you don't really want to do it then you won't put in like all the effort that you'll have Mm -hmm. that you could have do you see
2: people who just maybe casually do one or two tournaments and that's good enough for them
1: yeah you see you see usually the same core of players going from tournament to tournament but you gotta get those points that's exactly right and you know other countries there are athletes that are funded and there's athletes that aren't funded and the athletes that aren't funded far outweigh the numbers that. That are. And so it, it does become a money game, a numbers game, which is why you don't see a lot of those athletes at every tournament. And you, we're starting to see a few of them kind of reach, I'll say, the twilight of their career, realizing, hey, you know, Paralympics isn't going to happen. You know, it's time to move on. Um, we know a few of those players, they've all been driven. To this point, you know, the, 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 especially the core ones, you can see it. There's, you know, Miles is absolutely correct. There's that drive that that these players have, and even the ones that are on the, you know, far from the fringe of qualifying for the the Paralympics. I can say, para badminton is is a real unique sport in that you meet people from all over the world. You meet players, and I can't speak from a player's perspective or a person with a disability or an impairment, but in talking with these. Athletes that fit into that category, there's a real camaraderie. There's a there's it's a family. You you hear that word a lot. You know the, the the pair badminton family or the community. And every one of these tournaments is almost like a little mini reunion. And especially if you're only going to two or three tournaments a year, um, like some of them are, they they just cherish it. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced before. And I've played sports. A lot in my life and it's just it's something that i've never experienced before
2: you guys have talked about drive and about the pursuit of goals there's probably been some setbacks though at times right Were there ever times when you guys got together and were like one of you was maybe doubting whether this should continue
1: or i'll say after the dubai tournament i was pretty firmly in that camp it was that was back in april and miles lost the match that I felt he could have won. I think he feels he could have won that would have advanced him, you know, out of, out of the group stage and into the knockouts. And when you're traveling back from Dubai, which is about a th- almost a 30-hour trip one way, you get a lot of time to think. And you you're just you're, you're starting to doubt yourself a little bit.
2: Wonder you're... if this could be channeled in some other way. Exactly.
1: And we skipped, well, then he went to Canada in in May and showed some promise there. But then we decided, okay, you know, summer's here. This is our opportunity. His coach, Moss Lattison, he lives down in Omaha. He's been fantastic. He and his family, they, he, you know, he, they've hosted Miles there for days and days, you know, a couple of weeks at a time this summer. And, you know, as Miles mentioned, got up early and worked with him in the morning, worked with him in the afternoon, twice a day, you know, and and fed him and took care of him. You know, when we saw that, that type of commitment from him, you know, it meant a lot to us. And and I think it drove miles even further, you know, and drove him harder to continue working at it and making this a goal realistic. At that time, so that was at the end of May, he's out of school. We decided to skip the Ireland tournament. Ireland's always been our favorite tournament to go to. Uh, It was his first one when he was just 10 and we went to it and got to know all the people, so it's kind of always held that special place in our heart. But we opted to skip that and say, okay, we're going to we're gonna backload our effort, backload the scores in the tournament. So we're going to focus on all those tournaments later on in the qualification period so he can focus on training at this point to get to that level. And so the World Championships were in August, at the end of August, in Switzerland, which is another one you forgot to mention. Um, so we went to Switzerland. That was our goal, because the World Championships count twice as many points as any other international tournament. So if he could get to the quarterfinals we knew if he could get to the quarterfinals at the at the world championships he would he would legitimately have a shot at qualifying. Yeah. And so that was that was kind of the date on the calendar we circled or the tournament that we circled. And he worked hard. He worked hard. And he went in as a seeded player, which means he was in the top eight. They had eight groups. He drew a fairly tough, tough group in terms of he had a player player from China who had, in Dubai, swept through his group and got to the, the semifinals, I believe, quarterfinals. But he beat some of the top players. He beat um, the, this Chinese player, beat the player from Brazil at Miles has not been able to beat yet, beat a player from England and beat another player from India. And so he got that guy in his draw and... We were just you know it's one of those things it's like oh how, how could this happen yes. you know, tough draw there's so many other players that but you know we 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 looked at it we talked about it and said okay miles this is your chance to prove yourself this is your chance to go out there and announce yourself to the world if you will and and so he did it he he won his group. Amazing. he he lost the first game to that guy came back and won in the second 22-20? 22 20 24 20 24 22 and I think he fought mm-hmm. off a match point there. So he won 24-22 in the second and just started out in the third third game, the third set. 21-9. And, and beat the guy at 21-9. <laughs> it just completely demoralized him. And you could see it physically in and, and the guy's body language. And, and that was when, you know, you talked about, you asked initially about if we've ever had any doubts. And that moment right there, seeing that match and seeing him win that one was, okay, that erased a lot of doubts. Yeah,
2: there was a bit of a relief on Both of your yes. parts there, yep. and so how do you show that when you win that, Miles? Do you uh, do you just kind of do a little fist bump? Do you scream? Do you uh, go hug someone? How
0: do you celebrate? Usually, like, pull my fist back
1: and <laughs> do a little shouting,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. He, we've touchdown talked about dance. that, yeah. He's
1: he's he's very reserved in his excitement, which we've talked about, you know, just kind of like the touchdown celebration, act like you've been there before, yeah, you know, yeah and, yeah. and but you could tell after that match. I mean, that fist pump was a little harder than usual. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that smile was a little bit bigger than usual. And then the celebratory
2: meal, was there like just the normal meal? Or, was, or normal did you go meal. for like yeah. pizza and ice cream?
0: Normal meal.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about those times when you
1: are not competing, because there's probably a season for this. Is there ever downtime? You know, there's uh so after Ireland, there was a two-month – Kind of a downtime between Ireland and the World Championships. And right now, after Tokyo, there's a little bit of downtime now um, because the next tournament is not until the middle of February. so. So
2: do you know what a guilty pleasure is, Miles? Nope. Guilty pleasure would be, like, something maybe I shouldn't do, but, man, it feels good. Like, I'm going to go watch this movie that's not everybody thinks is cool, but it makes me feel happy, or I'm going to eat some food that is bad for me, like pizza. <laughs> do you have a guilty pleasure when you have those times?
0: Um, not really. <laughs> Stick to the plan. Yeah. I like ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you're only
2: human.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but I don't really like candy that much unless it's, like, peanut
1: butter with chocolate or something who yeah. can deny that
2: what is next what's the next thing on the docket
1: training really for these next uh, two months it's going to be a lot of focus on training yeah uh, fine-tuning some things and getting ready for really the three biggest tournaments of his life i'm rooting for you and i think a lot of yankton's rooting for you
2: and and hopefully all of america's rooting for you here so uh go get it man Thank you. Well, and for people who want to follow along, can you give us again the, the way they can do that? What's the easiest way to follow Miles' journey? Yeah, the
1: easiest way is on Facebook. He has a he has an athlete page. It's Miles Kraski para badminton and it's uh i'll I'll spell out the last name or they can obviously look it up but k-r-a-j-e-w-s-k-i
2: and we'll have we'll post some links in this podcast too but really appreciate you guys both coming in and sharing your story it's inspiring and not only is it inspiring to me but i imagine it's inspiring to a lot of people in your community who are paralympians and and all categories so just keep doing what you're doing okay (laughs) <laughs>
1: okay. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Thanks for and, thanks for your support. Yeah, well
2: thank you too, Mike. And uh we'll be back next week with another episode of The Lanyard.